Well, good morning. Uh, so my name is Nathan, uh, and I serve as the student minister here at Southwest. Um, I'm just so excited uh, to bring the Word of God to you this morning as we continue through our study of the book of Daniel. And today we're going to continue in chapter 6. So if you have uh, your Bibles and you have flipped to chapter 6 or turned to it on your phone, um, you can go ahead and do that. But the verses will also be on the screen. And I think one thing to note about the, the stories that we read about um, Daniel, they not only show us things that we can imitate in our faith, they actually help us be aware and in awe of God, to know him better, to see his faithfulness. So uh, today we're not only going to talk about what we can learn from Daniel, but we're going to see God work in a miraculous way. So uh, with that said, here's what we're going to go ahead and learn from Daniel today. We're going to see that consistency in our relationship with God will lead us to trust him, and our trust in God will lead to boldness for his kingdom. So that's what we're going to see in the story in Daniel chapter 6 today. So uh, we pick up today's story. There's a new king and a new situation that Daniel finds himself in. So starting in verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be used throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished among all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So at the end of the, the last chapter, chapter 5, we saw that Babylon, who Daniel was taken captive by and had served for many years, was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And so here we see a new king is in charge, and he's identified as Darius. It's not exactly clear in history who Darius was. Like, it's possible that Daniel was using, uh, you know, the name Darius as just a title, uh, for uh, Cyaxerxes, who was the ruler of the, the Mede Empire when they conquered Babylon, or it honestly could have just been the actual name of some general or someone that was put in charge. So we don't really know exactly who he was, but whoever he is, we see that Darius did not want to get scammed out of a bunch of money. And so he installed these local governors called satraps and then three higher officials in charge of them. Daniel being one of those three. Uh, and these guys knew that because of Daniel's character and just his commitment to what's right, that they weren't going to be able to steal money or take advantage of their positions anymore. So they were motivated by greed and some jealousy, and they conspire against Daniel. But there's a problem for these officials. They know that they can't find any real fault against Daniel's work. So instead, they turned to accuse him because of his faith in God. So in verse 6, it says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. How easily these officials were able to play right into the king's ego. Like they were feeding into his desire to be this sole provider, this leader of this kingdom. And since these pagan cultures had um, many gods who obviously weren't the one true God of the Bible, they, they didn't mind adding another person or another thing to worship. Like it didn't, it was not a big deal to them, but it was to Daniel. And they knew that Daniel was not only not going to pray to the king, he was certainly not going to stop praying to God. Daniel had been so consistent after decades in a pagan culture that they had complete assurance that this law was going to trap him. And their plan seems like it's working. Like they get Darius to issue this decree and it can't be changed. It can't be taken back even by the king. And not only do they just want to strip Daniel of power, but in their greed, they go further than that. And the punishment for disobeying this decree is getting thrown into a den of lions, which they knew would be certain death. In verse 10, it tells us, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber that opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So when Daniel finds out about this decree, it doesn't change his habits. He goes and he prays the same way that he always has. And these guys, they know he's going to do it. They know exactly when and where he's going to be praying. It's an easy trap. So they go and they catch Daniel breaking this new law. And so these officials, they, they go before the king and they're like, hey, like Darius, you remember this decree that you just signed? Said, hey, people can only pray to you, not anyone else. And Darius is like, yeah, like, I remember, can't be changed. What about it? And I'm sure they're very excited. And they tell him, well, Daniel, he broke it. And Scripture says that the king, as soon as he hears about this, he is distressed because he respects and he likes Daniel. I think it's noteworthy that, that Daniel's faith had endeared him to this unbelieving king instead of repelling him. Like, this king is genuinely worried about Daniel and his safety. And so uh, the Bible says that he tries as hard as he can to try to find a way to save Daniel. But the, the satraps, these officials, they come back because they want to make sure the king does what he says he would. And under pressure, the king folds. Verse 16 says, The king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. So the king orders Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, but he is hopeful that Daniel's God will deliver him. Even this king recognizes that, that God rescuing Daniel would be the only way he survives this. And uh, just to picture this lion's den, it would have been um, some large sort of pit with a, with a wall in the middle, and this wall could be raised or lowered, so when they threw 
people or food down there. The lions go back and forth. Um, and these lions were not fed very often so that their appetites were ready for an execution. Like, these were not tame, cuddly creatures. Like, being thrown into a lion's death meant you were going to die. This was not a new thing that they're like, well, we're just going to find a den of lions and just try throwing Daniel in it. This was a tried and true execution tactic. And when I was reading this story, um, part of me always wants to think that I could have, like, fought off the lions, at least for a little while, uh, maybe throw a few punches. I did not try it out, though. I thought about, you know, that'd be a fun story to tell, but I did not try it um, because I realized, like, I certainly cannot wrestle a lion. And if I can't wrestle it, I know that our friend Daniel, who in this story, he's in his 80s. Like, he's not going to survive a night in a den filled with many hungry lions unless God intervenes. And so let's see what happens. Starting in verse 19, it says, Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken uh, up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And it says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see that Daniel ended up being rescued by God. And just like every story we've read about Daniel, he was always quick to give God the glory. And we see that he does that again here. Daniel says that God rescued him by sending an angel to shut the mouths of lions so that no harm was done to him. And in response to their wicked scheming, Darius actually punishes the men who accused Daniel by throwing them into the pit. Um, and obviously, uh, to us, like it seems probably pretty cruel that the families were killed along with the conspirators. Um, like this is kind of like a, makes us uncomfortable. But here's the thing, like that's not a God thing. Like God's law actually for the Jews prohibited punishing children for the sins of their fathers. Like God brings justice. God punishes sin, punishes those who try to take out his prophets, um, but not like that. That was not God. The families um, being thrown into the pit was actually part of the Persian law. And the conspirators, they would have known that, like, that, that was a rule. Like, the, the eastern rulers, those monarchs, what they, they didn't want to happen is that if there was like a remaining member of a traitor's family um, after you know, the execution, they didn't want them to conspire against them. So um, 
This is all Darius. We're still dealing with a, a pagan king who maybe doesn't fully understand God's standards of right and wrong. But we see Darius actually acknowledge God and decree that all people in the kingdom of the, the Persian Empire should also worship Daniel's God. So God not only gets the glory from Daniel, but God is glorified through a pagan king because of the impact of Daniel's faith. And so like I said earlier, there are three things that we see in the life of Daniel that are demonstrated in this story in chapter 6 that are also crucial for our faith. Uh, and this consistency, trust, and boldness. And so we're going to talk about how Daniel demonstrated all those things, but also learn how we can live them out as well. So let's start with consistency. So throughout the book of Daniel, all the chapters we've covered so far, we see him being consistent in his relationship with God. But here are some ways that we saw him do this in chapter 6. The first one is being consistent in prayer. Like Daniel had a daily habit of praying to God three times. This was not an um, occasional occurrence or a sporadic practice. This was a consistent part of Daniel's life. Daniel was even so faithful in his prayer that his enemies could predict exactly what his activities would be. When this crisis and persecution came, Daniel didn't have to change a thing. He didn't have to add anything. Prayer was already something he did. Whereas for us, I think it's far too common to only go to God when we want something instead of just having consistent communication with him. Another amazing thing about Daniel's consistency in prayer is that he'd been praying like this for probably close to 70 years. And I think we can all agree that there are times that it's a struggle to play, pray multiple days in a row, let alone intentionally multiple times a day for, for 70 years. But I wonder, like, what our prayer, our Bible reading, our worship, our serving all of our other spiritual habits, what would they look like if we did them consistently instead of whenever we feel like it? Because it's so easy for us to fall into complacency and, and such a lazy faith when Jesus enables us to have a consistent closeness with God. And we often forget how much we need to be connected with God. John 15, 5, Jesus tells us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. How well are you connected to God in your daily life? And maybe for you, starting to be more consistent looks like a week or a month of daily prayer or sticking to your Bible reading plan. Because I, I find it sad that, that we, myself included, are often more consistent in watching our favorite TV shows or, you know, following our favorite sports teams each week than we are at spending time with our Creator. But Daniel was also consistent amid change. Daniel faced significant changes and transitions throughout his whole life. Like, think about this. He went from being a noble in Jerusalem to a captive in Babylon to now a high-ranking official in the kingdom of Darius. He experienced several different rulers and world powers, but yet despite these changes, Daniel's consistency in his relationship with God remained steadfast. He didn't allow his environment or his status to sway his devotion to God. He wasn't a product of his environment. He faithfully served God and spent time with him no matter what. And then despite knowing that his enemies were watching for every opportunity to accuse him, 
he continued to pray by the window as he had always done. And how often do we let our circumstances dictate what our relationship with God looks like instead of the other way around? We need to remain consistent no matter what. I think we have to realize, too, that just like Daniel, people are watching what we do, especially in the ever-changing highs and lows that we experience in this life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Paul is stating a fact that, that we are spokespeople. We are ambassadors for Jesus, and that's a role that we can either be good or bad at, but this is not something that we can choose to be or not. Like, this isn't like a, a job that we get to be finished and kind of say, okay, I'm done, I'm done with my shift. This is not just for pastors or people who have been in the church for a long time. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador. Congratulations. Congratulations. What that means, though, is that people are going to see the way that you live for God. And this is not about perfection uh, or a performance. God does not expect you to be perfect, and he doesn't want you to put on a show either. He wants you to just be faithful. And like Daniel, people are going to see your consistency as the evidence of your faith, and they're going to recognize that something is different about you, and that's going to draw people to want to know more about this God that you are faithful to. But friends, with this though, like there's grace. Like God's love for you does not depend on how many times in a week you've read your Bible or how many times you pray. Like those things are our response to God's love. Those things are us wanting to know him better. God's love is an undeserved gift. But we see that, that God, as our creator, like he understands the importance of consistency in our relationship with him. But like there, there is always grace when we struggle. But we see that because of Daniel's consistency in his relationship with God, he developed this deep trust in God and his promises. And so that's the second thing we see in Daniel's faith that we can imitate, uh, trust. And so Daniel, he displayed uh, trust in God in our chapter by having confidence in God's protection. Like Daniel's trust uh, in God was just unwavering. Like he knew the consequences of disobeying this king's decree. And he could have easily given in to fear. However, he like he trusted that God would protect and deliver him if it was God's will. When Daniel was going to be thrown into the lion's den, like he didn't rely on his own strength or strategies. Instead, he trusted that God would deliver him, recognizing that, that God's power is greater than any earthly threat that he faced. And just like a couple weeks ago, with the story of Daniel's friends and the fiery furnace, Daniel had trust that whatever would happen would be for God's glory. Because Daniel was delivered so that God would be glorified. But also, God had more work to do through Daniel. But I think it's important to point out that, that not every faithful servant of the Lord is delivered from a trial or from death in the same miraculous way. Daniel trusted that if God wanted to save him, he would. And this unwavering faith allowed him to face the lion's den without hesitation, knowing God was in full control. And just, just picture this. Imagine the uproar in the, in the city, the excitement, when they found out that Daniel had gone into the lion's den and God had rescued him. 
Like that would have caused a stir. And I think God obviously could have protected Daniel from ever being thrown into the lion's den. God could have prevented that. But God received so much more honor by letting him go in and bringing him out unhurt. And I think God often does not remove a, a trial or a struggle immediately from us so that we can trust in him more, so that we can depend on him, and so that he will be glorified through that situation. I think it's so important for us to grow in trust so that we can look at every situation through the lens of how can God be glorified in my situation. Instead of doubting God because he didn't remove the trial from us or or remove us from the situation, we can display our trust by just surrendering our fears and our worries to him, knowing that he is faithful and he works all things for the good of those who love him. And just like Daniel, we can display trust in God by prioritizing God's commands over societal or cultural pressures. Like we have to stand firm on our biblical beliefs, even when they might be unpopular or they might bring opposition. Like, like the Bible says that, that we are called to respect and obey like legitimate authority. But there might be times, just as Daniel did, that we encounter unbiblical or immoral demands. And we have to stand on truth. Because Daniel's trust was, in, it was evident for unbelievers to see. And when we fully trust in God and his promises, people are going to take notice. Because our trust is going to lead us to be bold for God's kingdom. And so that's the third thing that we saw in the life of Daniel that we can imitate. It's boldness. So uh, in Daniel chapter 6, we witnessed Daniel's just remarkable display of boldness when he defied the king's decree. When the the king signed this into law that no one could pray to anyone or anything except him for 30 days, like Daniel openly and boldly continued praying to God three times a day. I think it would have been so easy for him to choose to, to just pray in secret or to just maybe just stop praying altogether for the month. But he boldly stayed true to his faith and his convictions regardless of the consequences. And not only did he continue to pray, he prayed in front of his open window. Like he just could have closed it. But that's what he had always done because that's what God had commanded through King Solomon to the Jews many years before. Daniel wasn't willing to compromise even just a little bit. And he certainly wasn't afraid to show his total devotion to God. And I think the funny thing about this story in the life of Daniel is the way that we read ourselves into it. Because I think many of us, myself included, when we, when we think of this story, we think that we are Daniel. And what I mean is like, it's very easy for us to view ourselves as like, oh, I also would have been the hero of this story. That, that I would have stood up for my faith in the midst of such blatant persecution. That we wouldn't have uh, hidden our beliefs or shrunk back from an opportunity to make God known. That we would have been just like Daniel. But the more that I reflected on this passage, would I have ended up in the lion's den? I was convicted that if when God gives me small opportunities to stand up with my faith, sometimes it can be a struggle. Why do I think that it would be very easy for me to do it in a big way? As I think too often, as a church, as a whole, we are scared about being public about our faith, 
of having uncomfortable conversations, of, of getting canceled, or of people asking us difficult questions about our faith. We're often too afraid to, to tell people that Jesus is the way to the Father. We rarely share our testimonies of what God has done, and let alone invite people to church. And all of that makes me wonder if many of us really would have shared the same fate as Daniel. But Daniel also displayed boldness by being a witness to God's power and his character. Daniel's boldness in facing the lion's den, it, it was a powerful witness to those around him. In a culture that was hostile to God, Daniel had the courage to stand up. And we see the impact that that made on not only Darius, but the whole kingdom. I think we must change our mindset as Christians from how do I wait this hostile culture out to how do I impact it. Because Daniel could have chosen to just go with the flow, to kind of remain anonymous, somewhat be faithful to God, but also kind of hide what he believed in to not cause a stir. But no, Daniel didn't just stick his head in the sand and, and wait for God to just remove him. Daniel boldly stood up for God. And so long before uh, this verse was recorded in the Gospel of, of Matthew, we see that Daniel lived it out. Here's what Jesus said. He said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Daniel literally did not fear putting his life on the line to stand up for God. But we fear being unfriended on Facebook because we offended someone with the Gospel. But yeah, we want to think that we're Daniel. But what if instead of being uh, unafraid of man, not living in fear of the consequences, we focused on loving others by helping them know Jesus? Because it's, it, it is so easy to forget to have an eternal perspective and remember that our purpose here on earth it, it's, it's not about this life. We are not meant to fit in here. We're meant to stand out. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But we're often too afraid to make it obvious that we've committed ourselves to following God. So we do this like one foot in, one foot out kind of Christianity that I don't think truly helps anyone see what it means to follow Jesus. We are supposed to be the light in the darkness. We're supposed to reflect God's character, and if we do that, we're going to be different. We cannot be a people that conform to this world. We have to be bold for the good news of Jesus. People need to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross to rescue them. And so with our words and actions, are we communicating to people that we truly believe Jesus saves. Like, let's think about that, because I think that's something that we need to pause and evaluate regularly. Like, with our words and actions, are we communicating to people that we truly do believe Jesus saves? Daniel's life, it was radically different because of his faith. Are we showing that our life is different because we know Jesus? And when I think about, like, Dan, Daniel was a witness, and when I think about uh, what it means for us to be a witness to God's power, something that Jesus uh, told Peter comes to mind. And, and here's what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And, and this, is, this is such a powerful verse. I want to dig a little deeper because Jesus tells Peter that he is going to use him to help start the church after his death and resurrection. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Where are the gates in a kingdom? They're at the entrances. They're at the enemy's stronghold. They're not something that the enemy is attacking with. You don't see enemies or armies marching around with gates. Like, that, that would be weird. They're not attacking with that. Gates are a defensive position. And you know what we do? We get so caught up in worrying about spiritual attacks on us that we forget that Jesus is telling us we are supposed to be on the offensive against the enemy. I think we often view Christianity as, okay, we put our trust in Jesus, and then I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait for heaven. It's like we have this kind of shelter-in-place mentality where we're just trying to survive these attacks of the world. But because this was not at all Jesus' mission for the church. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples. We are supposed to be taking the light into the darkness, the hope of the gospel into the world. God tells us the darkness is not going to overcome the light. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle, but why do we think we can just sit on the sidelines? We are on the winning team. Like, we know how this is going to end. Jesus says the gates of hell are not going to prevail. God gets the victory. We'll have to act like it. Because how many people even know what, what team you're on? Like, think about Daniel. Is it as evident to others, like, whom you serve as it was for those around Daniel. Jesus has given us a mission. And when we truly understand what our Savior has done for us, it will lead us to do some bold things in an increasingly hostile culture to God. After witnessing Daniel's miraculous survival, we read about how the king Darius acknowledged the power and the greatness of God. And as a result, he issued this decree for all people in the kingdom to worship and honor the God of Daniel. He said that God is alive. He's living. He is, his kingdom is forever. He delivers. He rescues. He works miracles. These are things that Darius could say about God because he saw Daniel's consistent relationship with him, his trust in him, and his boldness to stand up for his beliefs. God wants to reach people through you, but you have to be bold and declare these same truths about God. I wanna close with this. This chapter of Daniel, it has to make us evaluate how bold we are in our faith. But this boldness, it comes from our trust in God which is developed through a consistent relationship with him. Look at Daniel. Daniel's responses of trust and boldness, they were not conjured up in the moment. They were developed through a lifetime of consistency. Small, consistent decisions to choose God and follow him. And then we see how God was glorified in the life of Daniel, and God can be glorified through us as well. So let us respond to God's great love for us with a faith characterized by consistency, 
trust, and boldness.